Welcome, everybody. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined um, by our guest today uh, for this part two discussion on outdoor learning and co-curricular activities in international schools. Um, so among some of the topics we'll be touching on today, uh, we'll be considering you know, how to make outdoor learning accessible, um, how teachers and leaders can take their learning outdoors in the short term, um, and then how outdoor learning co-curricular activities can be integrated within CPD activities for teachers as well um, within the international school space. Um, so yeah, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by everybody. If we could do maybe a quick um, round of introductions. Um, Thomas, do you want to introduce yourself and, and the school that you're at? Just on mute there, Thomas. You never guessed this was my first time. Apologies, guys. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm at St George's International School in uh, Switzerland, uh, just by on just on Lake Geneva. Uh, been here since August. Uh, previously, assistant head co-curricular at a very traditional public school uh, in England. Um, really relishing the new opportunities of being in Europe, being by the lake, being near near Verbier, and and the, all the opportunities uh, that brings. Brilliant. Thanks, Thomas. Kenny, do you want to quick introduce yourself? Hi, yeah, I'm Kenny. I'm here at the Green School in Bali, and I'm currently doing sort of a mixed bag of classroom education, education outside the classroom, a bit of math and science combined with some adventure. So I'm happy to be here again. Chris. Hi, everyone. Chris Boyle. Uh, I'm the secondary principal at International School Dhaka in Bangladesh. Um, previously from uh, working in Northeast China uh, and originally in the States in expeditionary learning and outward bound schools. Um, so I was really happy to come to a school that has a really strong tradition in, uh, in uh, experiential learning uh, and uh, took over coordinating the Week Without Walls trips and experiences, which we just finished and are planning the next round. So looking forward to the conversation today. Brilliant. And Matt, our founder and director of Polaris Outdoor, one of our one of our partners. Great to have you as a guest host today. Um, do you want to do a quick introduction of yourself? Yes, I'm Matt, uh, director of Polaris Outdoor. Uh, we run um, survival training for professionals and students uh, anywhere on earth, running trips, expeditions and um, lots of personal development as well. Fantastic. All right. Great. So what I will do now is I'm going to hand over to so Matt, to kick off um, with, with the questions, um, and yeah, hope you guys have a, have a fantastic conversation. Okay, All right, welcome guys. Um, so let's kick off with the, the first question, um, and feel free to, to jump in whenever you uh, want to add to the conversation. So let's have a talk about uh, what strategies that you're, um, you have used or you are using um, in your outdoor learning and uh, what kind of impact uh, that's having on the students at the moment. Chris, do you want to maybe start us off? Sure. Uh, you know, like a lot of schools around the world, you know, the last year, year and a half has really represented uh, a big change in a shift back to face-to-face -to -face learning. Um, after a period where here in Bangladesh, we were closed for really two full years. Uh, and so the obvious impact that... Um, activities like extracurriculars, sports, uh, and the kind of big wow trips like our week on week without walls trips are having are just rebuilding community and connections. You know, I think we're just seeing students, particularly this year, having been face to face um, and getting to, to grow and, and get to know each other, not only in the classroom, but outside the classroom 
have a huge effect on well-being. We just have happier kids this year um, because we're able to offer um, so many more opportunities than we were able to um, in the prior year. So we've been back about a month from our Week Without Walls trips, which included all students in grades six through 10. And, you know, kids are still talking about it. You know, you still kind of walk through the hallways and bump into a group of sixth graders or ninth graders speaking about it. Um, and, and they're still excited. And those are shared memories and stories that, you know, they'll carry through graduation and honestly the rest of their life. And so um, it's just really built community here uh, by taking the time and making sure that we value those experiences. You know, we plan them. We make sure that the parents uh, are on board as well. Um, so, yeah, it's been those outside of school experiences that have really solidified um, our community this year. Thanks. Sir. I found I found that community is really important. Certainly when I was at school, I think community wasn't really something that was really kind of discussed and maybe not so much um, openly important, whereas today, uh, you know, the community and your personal well-being in, in an environment of learning um, is just as important as the learning itself in a lot of ways or a catalyst for one another. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, Kenny, you wanted to uh, say something. Yes, I, I was just going to jump in and give a current example, something I'm doing. And something I think every school can or should do is incorporating a bit of art uh, with a bit of science and crossing over with a bit of um, out, getting outdoors and learning. And the example I'm doing right now, I've just created a course called Museum Arts. And we basically have a, a new space on campus that's going to be an environmental science class. But my idea was to make these, you know, three-dimensional pieces of art that kids could handle and hold. And based on local flora and fauna, the local ecology, get outdoors and see what it is, but then have some sort of uh, display that would be educational. So some sort of signage in the sort of a natural history museum feel. And it's, it's going over really well. It's, it's basically the kids choose what they want to do. So I've got everything. I've got one girl that's like really into pigs. So she's making pig ears and pig's feet. And she wants to learn about pig digestion. And so I'm encouraging that. I'm personally doing it myself. I'm making a sort of a life-size uh, reticulated python out of like toilet rolls. And I'm hoping to sort of paint it up and make a display about that. And I've got a couple of guys that are really excited about snakes. They made a couple of pitfall traps. And, you know, I was thinking about today, like, I don't really think they're going to catch anything, but it's just getting them excited about it and sort of the mystery. And they run out and check it every day and like, can we check our traps and see what we got? And today they didn't have anything, but they're still excited. I'm like, okay, that's, you know, that excitement, the mystery, like, could we catch something? And so I don't know if, I know that most campuses are not every campus has that opportunity, but doing stuff like that, where you can go out and see the things, make some sort of art that combines a bit of natural history and science. I think the kids really get a lot from that. So I'm, I'm kind of excited about that new one that I'm doing. Yeah, thanks. Sir. That's really cool. I, th I think also, I think the future of learning is um, very much going to be probably more amalgamated when it comes to uh, subject matters that um, learning is probably going to be a bit more uh, project based, I think, in the future where, you know, maybe for the older students, it might be right, you're going to start a business and that will involve art and media and maths and science and some geography and some economics and 
you know, you bring in all subjects together to, to be one instead of kind of separating them out and making a dissemination, whereas that's kind of not where what life is really, is it? So that's really good. And um, the students will be able to see the, the cross curricular value in that as well, which is uh, which is really cool. Uh, Thomas. Yeah, so just picking up on that, I think that it is really important to ask the kids and the children what they want to do. So obviously I was new to an international environment. So the, um, it was actually my wife said, well, just ask the kids what they want to do. So the very first thing I did and the, the first, second registrar tutorial was do an electronic form and just go through and from a co-curricular point of view, just so I could get a grip of what they were doing and what, and just gain, uh, gain some interest. Now we're, we're very lucky that uh, because we're so close to the mountains, um, our sport and outdoor education curriculum is skiing. So the kids will go uh, once a week or once a fortnight to Verbier. They have their ski lessons. They do all those kinds of things. But I was I was intrigued to find that with kids who feel that they're very academic, that there was very much a disconnect and they didn't see the connection between their academic performance and their well-being and the opportunities that they would get to go and ski, free ride, uh, go on ski trips, go on uh, our trip that we have in October, which are field trips. They just feel that that gets in the way of their academic performance, as opposed to something that would and one uh, something that would enhance their well-being and enhance their um, ability to do well in their IB exams that they're sat in about 100 metres from where I'm sat now. And I think educating them about that strong link between the two has definitely made a difference and seen an upsurge in what we're doing and how we're doing it. Um, thanks, Tom. Yeah, I, I think that's really interesting, actually, because um, when I've worked with um, students in academic environments that are very testing, you know, kind of like some inner, inner city suburbs uh, that have uh, really difficult uh, schools, um, and you inject um, some outdoor activities, for example, or, or some kind of enrichment um, into that, the, the, you can actually see the results very quickly that students, their, their enjoyment of school is connected to their academic achievement. So if you put some enrichment activities in there, they connect that with enjoyment, which connects that to enjoyment in school. And enjoyment in school then helps them to improve on their academic ability. So it's quite obviously obvious to do that at the bottom end. Um, when you're at the top end of education, it's a, it's a little bit different because often uh, many of the students are very driven and they're very self-motivated and they want to get absolute top results. And like you said, some of them can see extracurricular activities as a maybe an unneeded uh, distraction. But I think you're right. I think once if you get a balance between um, extracurricular and outdoor activities and you help them to understand the value in that, it can definitely not only be enriching, but it can actually um, improve their academic abilities as well. Well, well, just on that, so so uh, the, the one thing I would say, and I've said to our kids, is that the, the link between academic performance and co-curricular education is based in fact and based in academic research. 
So there's a study that I can send to you that Cambridge did just pre-COVID that was uh, published in 2019 done by Cambridge University, um, which which is plastered everywhere, which says that um, their undergraduates who played sport and did uh, did other things other than academically over the period of their study that they did themselves did be- did better uh, in their exams by percentage uh, percentage points. So so I, th- I think that one and and again maybe i'm a little bit controversial in some of the things i might say to our pupils like if you don't do co-curricular you're going to do worse in your exams um that that isn't everybody's cup of tea but 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 i want to stimulate conversation with the parents and stimulate conversations with the pupils that that we're having we're having this argument because we just can't have kids just being in the books all the times i mean it's not good for their well-being it's not good for their sleep um and like I said, pushing the barriers of what can be achieved. And, and I, I, as I said, uh, I, I think we're quite lucky here because we, we 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 do have quite an outdoorsy area. I think that in some areas of the world where it's where it, more and more and more academics mean more and more success, or that is the, that's my view from the outside. I think that's more challenging for you guys, especially in Asia, that that's my probably uninformed view uh from 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 where you are there yeah i, I think you're right I, we'd be definitely interested in uh, seeing that paper i've got a few which can uh, pop out um i taught music for a, a little while um and you know it's a well-known fact that students who um have peripatetic lessons in music their academic ability is is uh, better than those of students with similar abilities who don't take music and that's partly because of self-discipline. They have to practice every day and, you know, they get into that self-discipline um, role. But also it goes into what Kenny said, which is that inspiration side of it, that self-motivated uh, link to something which is enjoyable as well as academic. And academic, of course, can be enjoyable, but um, bringing in the arts and the crafts and the kind of independent um, uh, ideas that allow you just to kind of like show some art uh out of uh within yourself it's uh it's got great value in it thanks for that guys let's let's move on to the second question this one's about um short-term uh learning projects what what can be done um outdoors now what ideas have you got that uh either you're doing or that you could think right this week i'm gonna switch it up a little bit i'm gonna do something and um, what have we what have we got on that one I can jump in on that one. Um, I get that asked. I get asked that quite often. It might be one of the most common questions I get asked. And, um, you know, the short, simple answer is take your literature lesson outside, read your book outside, write your poem outside. It doesn't take any special training or equipment, you know, to do that sort of thing. Take your math lesson outside. Um, especially if you can get these little portable whiteboards, you can do basically any math lesson you want, you know, right outside your door um so that's the quick and simple one you know just get whatever normal classroom lesson you were gonna do take it outdoors so you know reading it reading the poem like you said you, you've taught music before why not do a music lesson outside um and then other simple quick you know easy ones are like sound mapping you can go outside and just map the sounds of your campus natural and unnatural sounds you in regular mapping you know mapping your campus so that I get really excited because it's almost limitless. Like basically anything you could 
teach in a classroom, you can potentially take outdoors. And I, I call that the difference in outdoor education versus education outdoors. And that's how I sort of differentiate it. <laughs> so you don't have to do outdoor education. You can just do education outdoors. Yeah, you said that before, and I really like that because uh, I think a lot of teachers are afraid to take education outdoors because they think they have to do outdoor education. And you're right, they they don't. They can just take education outdoors and just run with it. So, yeah, I like that. It's really cool. Yeah, but, you know, my teachers at, at school are probably more on that spectrum. You know, when someone's coming to work at the Green School in Valley, you know, they, they very much know kind of what they're getting into. And, you know, my school is, a, you know, sort of your traditional career, you know, IB, MYP or DP teacher. And so while I'm going to take this question in a slightly different direction, it may not be what we would do tomorrow or this week. It would be sort of how can we intentionally plan and support to get teachers to take those first steps to go outside so we'll oftentimes dedicate, um, you know, all or a portion of a faculty meeting where teachers are working in departments to say, you know, hey, look at your units, look at what's going on. What's an opportunity that we could get you out in the local community or um, out on campus doing something, you know, collecting data, whatever it is. Kenny gave some great examples, um, something that feels quite low risk. Um, and then great. As you after you've kind of arrived at that, what can we do to support you to kind of take any any additional length? anxiety that might might be there down because as you said teachers teachers are are worried they're afraid i think especially post-covid they're very comfortable being back in their classroom they feel really settled in there um and and going outside um might you know have an increase in anxiety the other things we really try and do is you know at an inter many international schools certainly international schools in asia you know we in the expat community move on every four five six years you know certainly some stay longer than that but the local staff has oftentimes been here since the day the school opened, which for ISD was, you know, 20 plus years ago. So to really tap into them, you know, they know the community the best. I want my visual arts teachers talking to our arts teaching assistants and members of the arts community to know when is there some really cool festival going on or art exhibition that they're going on, you know, so that we can get out there in the community as well. Teachers typically really like that because it's still, you know, an area that they have a lot of expertise. They've got perhaps somebody who's local there to help out. Um, so kind of from a planning standpoint, um, asking teachers to really intentionally look at opportunities with, within their curriculum to get out there and do fun stuff and then being really supportive to help it happen so that they feel really good about it. They get that positive reward because the kids love it and they're more excited to go out there and do it, uh, do it again. Yeah, I think that's that. Can I then. jump in there? Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, go on, go on, <laughs> jump in there. Yeah. You just reminded me of something, Chris, and I think it's pretty interesting because, you know, education outdoors doesn't necessarily have to be in a wilderness area or a forested area or a natural area. And what you reminded me of, one of the most popular things that I do and that we do is cooking. And so basically, you know, to incorporate that into like experiential education is you take the kids to a local market, they bargain, they learn some language, they buy some ingredients. They come back and they learn a life skill with cooking. And for me, our kids love that. And it's just so popular. Anytime we offer any sort of cooking class, cooking lesson, local market visit, they raise their hands and jump on it. So, yeah, you just reminded me of that. Sorry to interrupt, Matt. No, that's fine. That's really good. You, you kind of said what I was going to say, really. Um, I, as a teacher trainer, I, I found two, two main things that teachers or schools have kind of concerns with. One, 
One is lesson planning. And, you know, is this touches on what Chris said. Uh, teachers like, oh, I'm a bit afraid to get outside. You know, how do I plan it in? And it's like, well, if you're thinking about it, stuff will happen. So just just think about it during your lesson plan. And we've already said this, you know, you can literally just take a lesson outdoors, especially if it's, you know, something that's quite simple, like you're uh, reading some literature um, or something like that. Um, and what what I do sometimes uh, what, uh, when I was uh, teaching, and I we do this now with, of course, um, Polaris, is we'll take um, students outdoors and we'll, we'll show them the environment uh, and we'll amaze them about the environment that's outside. And one good example is inner city London schools where they've got no green areas whatsoever. Um, so we'll we'll take the students out outdoors and we'll identify um, simple weeds that are actually really medicines and, and other things like that. And you can throw that in there as a lesson starter. Um, and it doesn't really have to necessarily relate to the topic you're talking about because it's all part of an education. Um, that's really good. The other thing um, that I, I get asked a lot is facilities. And this kind of goes on uh, what you were talking about, Kenny. Uh, people, teachers get worried about, oh, our, our outdoor space isn't adequate. Well, you know, what do you actually need? And you can start off with, well, we're going to go out on the playground and we're going to sit down on the tarmac and we're going to just make a circle and, and work together. Um, you could step it up and go to the management in the school and say, "Hey, um, could we put some benches outside? Can we can we pay for that? Is is it possible to get some benches?" And then you know you could take it one step further and you could put a canopy if you've got uh, clement weather, and uh, you know you could turn it into a permanent outdoor space that then uh, teachers can then can almost timetable in to to use around the school. And we've had that where we've shown teachers, why don't you just put a tarp up between these two buildings, drill a few holes in the wall, put a tarp up, and you can use that as an outdoor space uh, for teaching and learning, you know, whenever you want. And sometimes they become so popular that it has to be timetabled in. There's a sheet on the wall where they, they mark in, oh, I want my lesson now, and it becomes a really popular uh, thing. So that kind of enrichment um, is extremely simple. And I think often teachers, either they're, they're very, very busy, of course, teachers are super busy, but also it's easy to take for granted that something like that has value. And um, if there's somebody in all understands the value of it and then can kind of say, guys, there is value here. I know you've got that in your uh, jobs, uh, Kenny and Chris, after the conversations we've already had, you, you see the value in uh, teaching teachers about taking um, the students outdoors and um, then the teachers are learning as well. And then that becomes part of kind of daily life and general enrichment in the school. Uh, Tom, do you want to add anything to that? The only thing I'd add is, is that using the, the influential teachers and the role models within senior leadership to, to say, look, this is okay. I just think just making teachers feel at ease, as you've just described, I think I agree with everything that's said, but just using those teachers who are, who, who the other teachers, the heads of department, heads of faculty, if we see, if we, if we can empower them to, to, to buy into what we're trying to do, that then others will, will follow. Um, like the, the, I think that given the, the workloads of teachers, it is very easy to for them to just stay in within the straight lines of convention 
and asking them to step outside that is, is, is and recognizing that's a scary thing. But it, but if those people who are within leadership positions are, are demonstrating those kinds of behaviors, then then others will follow. It's got to start with at the top. It's, it takes a very brave teacher just to, to to not go if that's not the convention within an environment to just go and do that. I think I think uh, it conjures up um, visions of dead poet society and stuff stuff like this, which historically that we've been that we that schools and education have been suspicious of. Yeah, that, that can definitely happen. That actually leads very nicely into the next question, uh, which is what strategies have you implemented to include outdoor learn, learning and co-curricular activities in CPD for teachers? And what you said is, is dead on. And I'll, I'll start off with one of this, because I did, I did one of these a couple of weeks ago. A school in London uh, asked us to do some teacher training, um, and we went into the school, and, and the teachers had been, there was a whole day of CPD, and they'd been... Uh, death by powerpointed all day and i i went into the school early to see these teachers like kind of melting into their chairs in this lecture theater after being you know powerpointed by different uh, people that had come into the school I'm not saying that a lot of the stuff wasn't interesting but um you know this it was like the usual kind of thing so we then took them out and we showed them how to light fire on the playground and we were running fire races where the teachers were around with fire steels uh lighting lighting stuff on fire um and the, there was there was two really cool principles in with that one teaching them how to use the tool properly um use a principle that we call all changes make big differences and we then link that to their teaching practice and instead of um kind of hitting teachers with you're not doing this and you're not doing that um yeah so we flipped uh we flipped the teacher training on its head and instead of um talking about um what what are you not doing as teachers which they get kind of hammered with a lot it was well what are you doing that you could get rid of things like you know do you talk too much in the classroom um what kind of little habits do you have which you could maybe um take out of your teaching practice that allow the students to do a bit more learning or to learn more efficiently and those tiny, tiny tweaks do often make really big differences uh, for teachers. So linking uh, an outdoor situation of learning for the teachers and then linking that to their teaching practice, it had great value. And they've asked us to come back and do some more in the future, which is really good. Um, what, what have you guys uh, got around CPD for teachers that either allow them to um, access the outdoor environment more or even you know get into... Um, teaching teachers how to run their own trips or activities uh, with outdoor curriculums. Oh, so if I jump in there, I think I think that one of the things that I've found in an international setting is that these are people who people who are brave enough to move to places like Bali and Bangladesh, who are certainly braver than me being in Gene near Geneva. I think that these people by by the very nature are into things, the outdoors world, that, that, that there's things that go on. And I think it's tapping into their passion and finding out what skills and what things we have they already exist within the staff. And then if you find out someone's into scuba diving or sailing or skiing or uh, jumping out of aeroplanes or whatever it is that their thing they do in private is that say to them well look 
you've got passion for that. How do I facilitate your passion for whatever your chosen outdoor educate uh, activity is? Get them qualified um, and then joining the dots because whatever the outdoor activity is, the things that they're scared of are the risk assessment, the admin, these kinds of things. But they're, they're generic skills, and, and one of the things I've tried to do in running co-curricular at uh, my previous school and since I've been here is take away the boring stuff and the the stuff that is that they don't want to do and leave them to 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 in, enrich and and uh be role models for the children in terms of i really really as a as a teacher i really really like scuba diving let me tell you about and share my passion for that and then remove the the really mundane stuff that they don't want to do i think that that's because that can be centrally done like that's an admin job and then they can then go on trips and they can do all those other things uh in terms of doing that and then they might bring their friends with them their friends who aren't into scuba diving who are teachers who they're friends with socially, et cetera. And then it, then it grows organically just by taking away the bit that they don't want to do. Yeah. Thanks. For that. I think that's definitely true. And uh, leadership in schools sometimes need to let teachers kind of <laughs> a little bit, um, have a little bit of breathing room so they can not be just so caught up in their daily job and actually think, actually, you know what? I do have the, the space and the energy to run a trip and I like this and you know having approachable management where you can go to them and say um you know I'm, I'll give it one of my weekends and I've got this idea and having them being amiable to that and um allowing you to um put yourself out there I think that's uh, great to have an environment that allows you and also encourages you to do that so thanks but just on that sorry just for the one very quick point on that but I think that what's really important within schools is that if we can create a link between academic performance and outdoor education and the benefits that it brings, like I think that the, the, we need to be able to create lesson time and, and have a culture where if a, someone is taking a school trip to somewhere and they're going to take two or three days off out of academic time to go and do something that will clearly benefit the children, that's only going to create more teachers who want to do things because like teachers who work really, really hard already, if you then say to them, well, you're not going to have your weekend because you're responsible for these children. One of the things I think education will definitely needs to learn is that it's not mutually exclusive. It's not academics or outdoor education or co-curricular, whatever you want to call it. I think that we have to create a culture within schools that a child missing two days of lessons sat there in rows while someone's teaching them, they're, mm-hmm. not, they're not losing academic performance from that. And I think that that is creating, make it as easy as possible with teachers to do that. And then other teachers within the staff, understanding that teacher X is taking children Y up a mountain or on a trek or whatever they're doing. Those things should happen during lesson time and during the week because it's cheaper. So it makes more parents are able to do it, et cetera, rather than constantly putting things in teachers' holidays and then their weekends. Yeah, I think you're right. There's a whole there's a whole another conversation around that, definitely. Um, about certainly the way the way the British education system is going. And um I did some uh, uh, a little talk a while ago about um the new implementations with um the internet and AI and how that's changing everything very, very quickly. And I think in a few years' time, the education system as we know it will need to change to kind of catch up with all that kind of technology. But I think you're right, you know, the balance of enrichment 
uh, and education we're in the future i think we're looking at instead of creating um individuals who can regurgitate information which isn't really needed anymore we're looking at creating young individuals um who have skills have passion and also have attributes that complement the building of a kind of harmonious society um and those are those are attributes that you can't really quantify on a piece of paper you're right you've got to take them out midweek in the in it becomes part of school time and, and kenny is already doing this he's got tons of examples of this where he's taking them out midweek and they're learning how to be not how to know something and learning to be is where the value is definitely yeah thanks for that yeah definitely agree with that and just to, to go back to that question you're asking about the cpd what i've found really really helpful is just taking teachers on hikes around campus and pointing out things uh, whatever plants we have whatever insects we have whatever birds we have and just saying hey I don't know everything, um, but I know something. So I may not know the name of this plant, but I can tell you maybe a botanical term for the leaf shape, or I can tell you a little bit about you know photosynthesis, or maybe I can look at it and see what insects have been eating it. And I may not even know the name of it, which is a lot of times what people focus on, just knowing what that plant is. And then incorporating a lot of the local knowledge, like our gardeners, you know, they know more than I do because they live there and they work there. And just asking them, uh, what is this and what's it used for? And, you know, the other day we were hiking around and I learned about a new type of, I think it's a ginger that you can use for shampoo. And I was like, well, I actually don't really need that myself. But they showed me how you can squeeze it and it gets soapy and you can shampoo your hair. And I was like, well, that's a really cool thing that I didn't know before. And one of the locals pointed that out to me, you know, as we were hiking around. So I was teaching them, but then letting them teach me. So I think that's a pretty good way to do it. Yeah, definitely. And kind of like what you were talking about before as well, Kenny, teaching them cooking outdoors, you can kind of reverse engineer that all the way back to plants and growing. And you can, because everyone needs to learn how to cook, you know, as a part of daily life and routine. But you can reverse engineer that into learning and say, right, well, this is what we're cooking. Uh, these are the attributes that these um, vegetables and these things have. And this is how to grow them. And you can kind of reverse engineer that into, well, actually, here's a life skill that in the future of this world is very useful because it's an environmentally friendly way of doing things because you're reducing carbon footprint because you're not buying uh, resources and foods that have been shipped halfway around the world. It's organic and it's pesticide free. And then you can like go onto the cooking side again and it brings it full circle to this kind of like it's life, isn't it? It's I know where my foods come from and I'm educated on it and I know how to utilize it and use it. And that brings that brings the self-sufficiency, the personal self-sufficiency angle into creating young people <laughs> who are powerful, self-sufficient and ready to go. And, uh, you know, that's what we want to do as teachers. We want to create young people who are self-sufficient, energetic and confident. And all of what you're doing there links straight into that. So that's really good. Any, anyone want to add anything to that before we move on? You know, even before somebody steps foot on campus up, you know, when I'm recruiting teachers, uh, you know, through the, the interview process, I'm, I'm embedding kind of questions uh, and conversations that sort of get at a teacher's comfort level 
uh, in working with students in, in outside of the classroom context. Um, you know, I'm, I've always got my eye out for teachers who might be great, week without walls leaders, uh, or are going to want to coach a bunch of sports or take kids on nature hikes or whatever it might be. So as a school, if it's something that you say you value, you know, experiential learning, um, you know, you've got to own up to that in the recruiting process. You know, sure, first and foremost, I probably need a really great DP, you know, physics teacher because those are pretty darn hard to find. But I'd also love to have one that, you know, uh, at his previous school, you know, led an eighth grade trip or, or things like that. And so prior to even getting on campus, uh, I'm, I'm looking uh, for those those types of teachers that really love connecting with kids outside of the traditional classroom environment. And then, you know, we, we don't have a, a grand program here uh, in terms of teacher training. When I was in the States, uh, we all got our Wilderness First Responders, uh, our WFRs, and we're able to get grant money for that because it's quite an expensive course. Um, but here we do some in-house PD, um, really helping to train up tri uh, trip leaders, you know, just on best practices on kind of day-to-day running of multi-day trips in terms of safety protocols and communication, really learning to embed reflection, um, and, and things that, that help make trips run more smoothly, less stress. Um, and then that often leads them to come back with a newfound set of skills and confidence. And then I find when I post an internal position, hey, I need an extended essay coordinator because our extended essay coordinator is moving on after six years. Someone will say, hey, you know, because I had a good time and I, I was felt good about the week without Wall Street, I'm going to apply for that EE position. So I think that's one of the other benefits for the teachers getting the PD and maybe even more importantly, the experience is it, is it can really build their confidence and, and choose them to take a risk uh, to, to apply for something else that's really going to benefit the school long-term. Um, that's something that I've seen just this year um, following our trips, which has been really cool. Yeah, definitely. And, and as well, Chris, looking at what you do and, and your website, um, one of the other things is that if you're doing a, a great trip or you've got, you know, a really great activity week and, you're advertising that you're going to you're going to attract teachers who love that kind of stuff and you know if if you're not doing any of that stuff then you you I'm not saying you'll attract stagnant teachers that's the wrong word but you'll you'll attract teachers who aren't interested in that stuff but if you're displaying either a desire or you know you, you've got some of these things going on even if you're using you know an, an outdoor provider uh, like us and you know you're working your way to building it on in-house uh, production you'll you'll oh you guys have got a Borneo expedition that looks amazing I'd love to be a part of that and in interview that kind of carries it through as well so instilling that in the school as part of like the ethos or the kind of like the furniture of the school is a really powerful thing to attract in teachers who are either good at it or, or who want to get involved so brilliant yeah and I would add to that teachers with kids, you know, we love having families here, you know, uh, Bangladesh can be a, ch a challenging place to live, especially Dhaka. It's kind of this big, you know, urban sprawling city. Families are more stable. And so not only the teachers saying, hey, I really maybe want to go on that trip or lead that trip, but their seventh or eighth grade kids saying, whoa, like I really want to do that Vietnam trip or I really want to go to Cambodia is also, uh, you know, a reason that we might draw. Uh, potentially really great teachers into our school and community. So you're absolutely right. It's a recruiting tool for new students, but it's also in many ways a recruiting tool for new families who, who do match kind of who we are and what we're looking for. Brilliant. Let's, uh, let's move this on. Uh, the next question um, talks about uh, personal well-being, happiness, which is really close to, uh, to my heart and the way uh, we do things. Have you got any examples of specific programs that link outdoor learning co-curricular to academic achievement 
and resilience in the students. I know, Tom, you've already touched on this a bit. Do you want to um, add anything to that? Yeah, um, this, this is my real thing. And also, I really enjoy trying to prove it to people who don't believe, who are ignore and don't share my philosophy on this. Uh, so um, just refer. So there's a couple of things. First one is uh, um, trying to find if you go, just Google academic performance and well-being against whatever, you can find all sorts of academic studies. But there's a couple that I use to try and when I argue with people about this. The other thing that there's a um, chap whose name I can't remember, but I can find quite easily. He used to be the deputy head co-curricular at Loughborough Grammar. Uh, and he did a whole big study where he pl- he tried to measure kids' well-being. Like how often did they read a book? How often did they sleep okay? All these kinds of things. And then measured that against what they did what their co-curricular um co-curricular responsibilities were were they in the choir the play Uh, i did a very pared out version of that where all i did was take the top five um performing children from every year group academically and in terms of effort grades and just plotted that against the uh what they did from a co-curricular point of view so how many kids who were the most um the most able academically and tried the hardest. Now, some of them were the same child, but, and then how many of them were in the play, played rugby, played cricket, um, were in this, in the, uh, C- what we call, what they call CCF, the cadets, the, the, uh, the outdoor education. Um, did they do the Duke of Edinburgh award? I mean, and, and the, 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 the it, it's, it's beyond question that the kids who did worse academically and tried hard less in the classroom, did fewer co-curricular things i mean it's it's it, it. so so i mean like um so yeah so they're, they're those kinds of things and but the thing is schools are a uh, constituency of one and if the principal believes in what you're doing you're everybody else takes their lead from them so in terms of convincing people in terms of proving um trends if you can convince your principal and I'm very lucky that I work for a series of principals because I probably wouldn't work for them. They wouldn't, more importantly, they wouldn't work with me if they, if they, um, if the principal doesn't believe in what we clearly believe in. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is really hard to do. I mean, having a good co-curricular software, um, I'm not, there are plenty out there, but having good co-curricular software where you can track how many sports matches they've played in, do they do all these things? I think that definitely helps though. Yeah, definitely. We um it's kind of where my passion is as well, actually. And that's what spurred me to leave um mainstream education and 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 run it solo um in this because we were tracking students who um were doing the outdoor education program that we'd invented in the school and we were comparing them to kids of similar ability with similar SATS results who weren't on the program. And we were seeing academic increases of up to 30% over a three-year period. And that absolutely linked to their personal enjoyment and their well-being in school and a lot of these kids were um the kind of like the middle of the rung students who kind of went under the radar they didn't need a lot of academic help uh, at the lower end they weren't really advanced academically like the top end and the gifted and talented but they were this like middle group that just kind of trudged along and we saw really big advancements in that and uh, the personal development stuff that we did We've got booklets and all sorts of that we do on our expeditions and our different programs that really get them to kind of nail down um, what it is they're learning inside of themselves and then apply it. So, yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that. And uh, Chris, you're doing some stuff with this, aren't you? 
Yeah, and as much as I love uh, the big data and, and really good debates, you know, I found with our community, it's the personal stories, um, oftentimes from moms within our community that help to convince a skeptical parent. I'm taking this a little different direction than Thomas, who I know is thinking about staff and and you know thinking about uh, the the way you can get parents on board with with just them sharing with each other about the incredible experiences their kids have by by participating in a sport or going on a trip or doing a, a really awesome you know ccp or after school activity we have a, a really awesome elementary primary school bird watching ccp right now that's just like the talk of the school it's so cool um so simple but so cool um you know the parents who hear from another parent you know within their community that says my child participated in this uh, and was better, was was more confident, was changed, um, is oftentimes all the convincing, uh, you know, somebody who might be skeptical or resistant or might have that mindset, as you're absolutely right, Thomas, that we deal with in Asia, that we just need to be in the classroom all day and then they just need to go home and have five hours of tutoring and then five hours more of study. Um, you know, there's going to be that parent that says, no, 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 this this experience is, is what shaped my child into, um, you know, a well-rounded, amazing perfect uh, ready to go to university so i tap into my uh powerful uh mobilizers in my community to tell good stories about the positive impacts on kids well-being uh and that's worked really well in my context in south asia yeah awesome thank you um we can kind of relate to that we did a parents evening last night which is a celebration evening on the back of our Arctic expeditions that we run for a number of schools up in Northern Finland, where they do this really cool Arctic training. And the two of our, we, we give out prizes to students and they don't know they're getting these prizes, but we give them out to those that are really putting themselves out there, usually being selfless and serving. And funny enough, this year, the two top prize winners were um, siblings, a brother and a sister. And at the, at the celebration evening last night, I went up to the parents and I, I said, you your kids are a massive credit to your parenting skills and i kind of like thank them for just being awesome parents now what was quite interesting was that those two parents they're actually um uh, getting divorced or that they're having uh, problems you know and i actually already knew this because one of the teachers had told me but i i needed to say that because i thought it was important to be said because it was true and the parents both looked at each other and you couldn't see their faces i'm not saying i'm a marriage counselor and i'm fixing people's uh, marriages but <laughs> um you know like you said chris the extended value in this kind of stuff to parents and families it's absolutely brilliant and um for me it's a lot of well i think for a lot of us it's why we do it isn't it that we're, we're changing lives in really positive ways and it sounds really mushy and a bit cheesy but um why would you be a teacher doing all this hard work if you weren't getting kicks out of it somewhere and i think that's where we get a lot of our kicks so Penning. Yeah, I'll just give a couple of um, sort of pragmatic examples of things that we do. And I think a lot of schools can do. Every Tuesday, we have uh, Mindfulness Tuesday. And we we always say it should be Mindfulness Monday. But it is on a Tuesday. And it's basically during our homeroom time, which we call uh, pod time. So like, you know, the first 15 minutes of the day, they do some sort of breathing techniques or mindfulness. And that, you know, that time's dedicated to that. And every day at two o'clock, 
without fail, we have a gong and everyone has to stop literally in their tracks and just take a mindful moment. Um, and it's a really interesting thing to witness because everyone in the campus honors it. And if you're a guest on campus and don't know, people will tell you like, quiet, you know, like listen and like basically give thanks, you know, practice a bit of gratitude for about two minutes. And then after the third gong, you're free to carry on. So it's interesting to see this hive of activity and then stops on cue, you know, as soon as you hear the gong. And then, you know, two minutes later, everyone's back to business. And then a couple of other things that I think really attribute or contribute to well-being are things people don't think about. Like we don't have single-use plastics on campus and that's well-being for the environment. But I also think it's good for us to handle our foods wrapped in banana leaves. You know, it's good to handle natural materials. Of course, our campus is bamboo, but just seeing these natural colors, natural materials, I think that really contributes to your own sort of health and well-being, just seeing and that we don't have, you know, disposable, throwaway plastic things. And for me, that that's connected as well to your own personal well-being. And then, of course, I was just remembering there's... um. There's a bacteria in soil that's an antidepressant. So just handling soil, just getting soil under your nails literally is good for your health. And, you know, that's one of those things you can Google, but I, I've looked it up a few times. I forget the name of the bacteria, but yeah, just digging in the dirt makes you happy. Brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Let's finish off with, um, we've talked about loads of benefits, of course, of uh, outdoor programs and the way they work. Um what could be done or what are you doing uh, that makes outdoor learning either easier or safer? We've, I know we've already talked about access via management. Uh, Chris is very is close to his heart because he, he implements it. Um, have you got any examples um, of uh, any of the benefits or the ease of access of outdoor education that you could share? Hey, Chris. I, I was just going to say one of the obvious or, you know, sort of simple things that we've been talking about is, teachers being afraid so i've recently started just helping teachers do their risk assessments you know helping them do the paperwork i've even helped a few students lately we, we're i've made the proposal that we actually get students to do risk assessments for their trips um for next year and i'm hoping that will come through because i've helped a few lately and they can see the value and why we have to do that and so i think you know just making those easy accessible, um, providing some staff training, you know, a PD day or something where you can say, okay, this is how we do a risk assessment and why. So those sort of things. Yeah, that that's that's the biggest one that I get asked as a kind of an independent professional when it comes in uh, to teacher training. Schools are asking me, how do we even start? And the first one is, have you got a risk assessment? And they're like, oh, no, we, we, you know, we're not totally sure. And I think back in the day, risk assessments were used loads and loads, but they were done for the sake of doing them. Um, whereas actually, when you actually appreciate the value in, in them, they become brilliant. And on our Arctic expedition, the students get a personal development book. And twice during a seven-day activity, they actually do their own risk assessments on the environment. And exactly what you said, Kenny, like getting them to understand the value of doing risk assessments and the consequences of actions is super powerful stuff. It makes the place safer, makes the students more effective, and it, it just really increases the ability for you to 
just push the boundaries of what you can do as well. If you understand the risks, then yeah, you can hang out with crocodiles, you know, local and wild boar and other, you know, creepy crawlies and things because you the knowledge is power. Knowledge is power and, and knowledge of risk is is a really good one. It's probably for me, I get asked that a lot. So uh thank you. For me, I think it starts with an idea and it starts with like empowering the staff to say, look, we'll back you up. Like in all the things that we've discussed today, all I agree with everything that everybody said. Um, it's just a question of empowering those staff and then helping them and facilitating them that if you're brave enough, no, no, rephrase that. If, if, if you have the desire to take the kids to the Arctic or to the Zambezi or wherever it is you want to go, is that say, look, this is possible. Other schools do this. I can connect. And that's, I mean, I'm not here to beat the drum for inspired, but like when you're in a big group of schools, it's really easy to email someone and say, I'm thinking of doing this. Has someone else within the group done this? And I think that that's why networks such as this one that we're in here is that like, I mean, we did a we did the classic school sport trip to South Africa, and then so I offered it to everyone, and suddenly seventy eight children are signed up. I was like, oh, right, okay, so okay, so I need some more staff. But the thing is, is if you have that mindset within a school, and you have, I was very lucky that I went to the principal, the head teacher, and said, I've got seventy eight kids here. What am I going to do? He said, Well, you're going to take seventy eight kids, and how are we going to do it? And if you if you if you if you're senior leadership. And people and there's people like yourselves, there are people who will hold your hand and they will help you and they will like say to you, but it's, it has to start with the genesis of an idea <laughs> and a safe environment for someone to say, like, I really want to go to do this. And then if we're able to do that and we're able to share that and we're able to nurture that within our staff, because people like us, we can't do it all. We have to have people around us who are going to help us and who are going to do these things as well. I, th I think that's the having that. And it sounds a bit uh, wishy-washy and a bit like philosophical, but I think that's my vibe is that let's just give these staff and empower them to do these things because they'll these are things that the children will remember for the rest of their lives i've always said that that you're when you go on school trips you don't remember getting it getting an a in your test or then this you remember those shared experiences that's why we've got the best job in the world and it's much better than being a regular classroom teacher you you definitely hit on my second most important point Sorry. Um, after the risk assessment no it's dead on um the um the second one that i always get is um you know how how do we go about doing something like this and i i always come back and say learn from someone else and if you can learn from the best so i was i was very lucky that when i was a teacher i went to the head teacher who was on board with what i wanted to do was uh, to set up an outdoor education uh, department and i i said these are the qualifications I want and I want to go and learn off this person here because they're the best in the world at what they do. And, um, you know, with a bit of coercing and looking at the money and, and paying a bit here and there, I I managed to get my way on that. But because I got trained by some of the best people in the world, that then empowered us as a school to run some really, really cool stuff. And I think what you're saying is dead right, uh, Tom, like, if you've got the expertise in a collegiate or in a group um, of schools, swap that knowledge around and, and pass it around and then empower everybody to then, you know, really push the boundaries of what you're doing and share that knowledge. Brilliant.
Yeah, I mean, on a very practical level, I really love what you shared, Thomas. Then it's the the, the role of the principal or the senior leadership team to set that person up for success. So, you know, following that that 78 kids going to South Africa, you know, is really putting in the time uh, and giving that person or people the time um, to to put everything into place um, so that there's no surprises, there's no um, reasons why that trip will fail. Um, you know, when you choose to support something, especially multi-day trips, especially international trips, it really is the role of the senior leadership to make sure that there's the systems in place and the supports in place that that trip will be um, a success um, and parents will rave about it and be super excited for the trip, you know, the next year, wherever that might be be and so you know as someone in in that role you know it's our job always to kind of have that bird's eye view to say you know thomas it's great but you can't go that week because there's three other things going on this week and you're going to have a big conflict and you're going to have parents angry at you um you know some of those very practical things on just setting trips up for success with good planning um can go um, a long way clarity about the trip lots of communication to all different stakeholders and celebrate like crazy when it goes well. Brilliant. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks, guys. So I think we'll probably end it on on uh, that note there. Well, Chris, that was fantastic. Um, if, you, if you've got any uh, things you want to share, um, uh, post them on the ISN or uh, to Max or Mr. Um, we can put that out to uh, the group. And if uh, if you guys want to uh, ask me any questions about anything at all, I'm I'm always uh, super willing to help you out uh, if you need anything. And um, thanks for this discussion; it was really good.